0: All right, Matthew 13, starting at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offence at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honour, except in his hometown and in his own household and he did, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief.
1: Thank you, John. Uh, would you pray with me? Our God and Father, may you bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we come to this passage today, it reminded me of a um, an awesome thing that happens in United States. Um, We have there's a chain of a chicken chain over there called Chick-fil-A that you may have heard of Kanye West recently popularized it in his song um, closed on Sundays uh, because Chick-fil-A is actually called Christian chicken over in the US uh, because uh, it's actually run by a Christian uh, family uh, who started it and they close on Sundays and they Sabbath on Sundays, so none of their stores are open. Um, which is most annoying to a lot of people. But nonetheless, um, it's amazing. Uh, the, the Chick-fil-A chicken is incredible. If you've ever tasted it, it's just perfect. It's just the perfect chicken sandwich with this great mayo. Uh, and it, it it's become sort of like a cult thing that everyone loves so much that when they start a new Chick-fil-A store, uh, what they did to kind of promote and get generate excitement for a new Chick-fil-A store is they said, that anyone, uh, the first, sorry, the first hundred people who are customers within our new Chick-fil-A store will get Chick-fil-A for free for a year. So the first hundred customers will get Chick-fil-A for free for a year. And so this caused pandemonium uh, because whenever a Chick-fil-A store was opened, there would be uh, people everywhere. Uh, People would camp out overnight, hundreds, if not thousands of people would rock up uh, to a, a store opening. And they were in the middle of winter, in the cold, uh, midweek. They'd be there for days on end, hoping to get that free Chick-fil-A to last them for a year. Uh, And you can see in the picture there kind of one of the scenes of where it happens. And I totally get it. I reckon if I was living in the US and a Chick-fil-A store was opening, I'd be camping out there. I know Henry Burnett would. He loves his chicken sandwich. He loves a bit of KFC, but he'd he'd prefer Chick-fil-A, I'm sure. And because that people were driven to this level of uh, crazy behavior, just like people lining up at Apple stores, et cetera, because of their love for the product, uh, their desire for that product. Well, as we come to our passage today, we see a similar kind of heart uh, attitude that's going on in Jesus's teaching on these kingdom parables. Uh, we've been looking at various parables about how the kingdom of God, that is, thats the saving rule and reign that began in Jesus Christ through the spreading of the gospel and will go throughout all the world. And we've seen that when the kingdom is announced, it grows and it gets bigger and and it brings all these different types of people in. Uh, And mainly all these parables up until now in chapter 13, if you haven't been with us, have been mainly uh, passive. The kingdom sort of goes forth and and it produces fruit. It it grows out. Uh, But today we move towards What is it like for the person receiving the kingdom? Um, How are they meant to act in response? What are they meant to do? What's meant to go on in our hearts or in your heart if you're not yet a Christian as you hear the message of Jesus? And what does it look like to receive the kingdom of heaven? And the dominant image that goes throughout this passage, and we're mainly going to spend our time on verses 44 through 52, is this image of treasure that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. (laughs) It's like Chick-fil-A. It's, you know, it's better than. Uh, And so three points to try and help us um, uncover the meaning of this passage. A treasure discovered, point number one. Point number two, a treasure displayed. And point number three, rediscovering your treasure. And if you want a title for the message, the greatest treasure. So point number one to dive into this passage, a treasure discovered. Uh, as I said, up until this point, each one of these parables have been described the kingdom of God in a bit more of a passive sense. It, it, it kind of, it takes forth and shoots out and grows like a mustard tree, um, like a leaven in dough, like s- uh, soil and seeds. You kind of receive it and it happens. But now Jesus turns our attention to what it looks like for us to discover the kingdom for ourselves. Let's reread uh, the first of the two stories. He tells these two stories: one of a peasant labourer and one of a rich pearl merchant. Let's look at the peasant labourer first in verse forty-four. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and buys that field. In uh, first century Israel, there were no real banks, vaults, or safes to keep your valuables secure. And so with the threat of thieves and the constant threat of war and and people coming into your land and people easily being break to break into your house, it became common practice to bury your treasure in a remote part of your field um, so that one day you could come back to it. So that if you were driven off your land suddenly, uh, you knew where your treasure was, and you can dig it up. Alternatively, um, if someone came in to steal, they could steal whatever was in your house, but your most valuable possessions would be buried somewhere else. And these kind of stories of treasure being buried and found were part of the folklore, you know, the campfire storytelling of the time. This was a well-worn story that would have had people leaning in and thinking, oh, another like discovery of treasure in a field. And and people even made it their lifelong ambition to go and dig up these treasures, uh, just like those people on the beach with the metal detectors hoping to find someone's watch. Uh, That's what people used to do and give their whole lives to. So this is a real thing that would happen. And so in Jesus' story, we have a man who is laboring in a field owned by someone else. Um, He doesn't own this field. Uh, He's a worker hired in. And as he goes about his work, he happens upon a treasure buried. He digs it up and his eyes completely light up. Whatever it was, gold, silver, jewels, rubies, riches, more than he could ever imagine. He's holding it in his hand. He's beholding it in his hand. you got to remember at this time, laborers lived day to day. They had enough. They worked. They got paid. They bought food. They ate. And they did it again. And so for him to happen upon this treasure, this loot, was an incredible find. And in this day and age, it sort of was a bit of a finder's keeper's ethic. Um, If you owned the land, whatever was in the land was yours. And so in his wisdom uh, and in his joy, he reburies the treasure, goes home, starts pawning off everything he has. He's selling. He's going to cash converters. He's getting rid of everything he's got so that he's got enough money to come back to the owner and say, actually, you know that plot I was working on? I'd like to buy it. And when he gets there and he buys it, obviously, the owner didn't know about the treasure. It wasn't his treasure. Otherwise, he would have been like, no, that's, that's got all my stuff in it. I'm not selling it to you. But he sells it to the man and he gets the treasure. It would be like you hire someone to put in a landscaper to put in irrigation in your backyard. And uh, they find this treasure trove of diamonds underlying your soil. And the next week they come back and say, can I buy your house? (laughs) Or perhaps it'd be similar to if you are on car sales and you're looking for a used car. And as you're looking in and checking the car, you check under the seat and there's all gum and, and food and, you know, all that stuff. And you pull out a lottery ticket and you realize, or a scratchy rather, and you realize, oh my goodness, there's a million dollars on this scratchy and they don't even know. You stuff stuff it back under the thing. You go back to the bank, get out cash now and buy the car today. Uh, so that that lotto ticket, oh, that scratchy ticket becomes yours. Now, the point is not to debate the ethics of whether that's morally right. The point is this treasure is so consuming and and so joyous that the man is willing to give up everything to get it to reinforce this point jesus tells another story this time he flips it from a poor peasant laborer to a rich pearl merchant read verse 45 and 46 with me again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold sold all that he had and bought it. This story reiterates and reinforces the point of the previous parable, except this time the merchant is rich, he's wealthy, he's already got pearls, but in his travels he finds one that is of inestimable value, one that captures his eyes and his heart and his soul and uh, it so delights him that he thinks I've got to give up every other thing I own in order to have this one pearl. And so in both of these parables, two simple points are repeated. The joy of discovering treasure and the willingness to sell all to get it. The kingdom of heaven is like this, the joy of discovering treasure and willingness to give up everything to get it. That's what it's like to receive the kingdom, to receive the message of Jesus Christ in our soul. It goes like this. The discovery of the treasure, hearing the gospel, leads to this unimaginable delight in the treasure, which spawns an insatiable desire for the treasure, which leads to a decision of reckless abandon to get that treasure. That's what happens in your soul, in our soul, when we become a Christian. Our soul discovers treasure. We delight in it. We have an insatiable desire for it. We lead a decision of reckless abandon to give away this world, to trade in everything of this world in order to have Jesus Christ. So to put that together, you have this one main point of the parable. The joy of discovery naturally leads to selling all to gain all. The joy of discovery naturally leads to selling all in order to gain all. The thing that Jesus wants to drive home in this parable is not so much the sacrifice of selling everything. It's the joy and delight of someone who truly Appreciates the value of the kingdom message that he is delivering. Commentator R.T. France said it like this It is wrong to describe this giving up as sacrifice. The man sold from self interest in order to buy something far greater. You see, we look and we think, whoa, selling all you have, that seems a bit much, you know. But if we were to interview the peasant and the pearl merchant afterwards, they'd be looking at us with this grin ear to ear, a look of shock, maybe even a bit of drool kind of coming out of their mouth mouth, because they've got their treasure. There's no sacrifice to them because they're giving up this small amount of things to get the thing that they really, really want. To put it in modern terms, no one would think I'm sacrificing if I traded in my 1997 Toyota Camry for a Ferrari. No one would think, whoa, you know, <laughs> that's a big sacrifice that you would trade in your your your, your what we call silly car uh, for a Ferrari. And just so it is with trading in everything we have and putting all of our lot in for Jesus. Notice in verse 44 what Jesus says and Jesus is very particular in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field in his joy from his joy because of his joy he goes and sells it's joy that drives him empowers him and emboldens him and so finding the kingdom discovering The good news of Jesus Christ, that he lived a perfect sinless life, that he died in our place and for our sins, that he rose to new life and promised us us, an eternal kingdom is meant to lead us to a position in our hearts of joyful, reckless abandon, trading in the white Camry for the Ferrari. And that kind of gripping sense of like, this isn't even, this is, don't call it a sacrifice. I'm getting a Ferrari. And so another thing that Jesus wants to drive in, in what it means to receive the kingdom, is that receiving the kingdom is not merely a matter of intellectual assent to truth. It does require that. Or a dutiful response to his commands. But it's also a heart thing, a response of joy in the heart. A heart captivated, enraptured, thrilled, dazzled, and taken. And so joy is inexplicably linked to conversion. Joy is inexplicably linked to our conversion. When we find the kingdom, when we really understand who Jesus is, our heart is transformed to be full. Of joy. And so the heart, our hearts, and, and if you're listening in and you're a Christian, the heart that finds Jesus in his kingdom is in effect saying, Jesus is better than everything else. We are the ones who have found this treasure and a precious pearl. As missionary Jim Elliott once said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So what's it like to discover the kingdom? Well, discovering the kingdom or or receiving the kingdom of heaven is like discovering treasure which leads to delight, which leads to an insatiable desire, which leads to a decision of reckless abandon to throw your lot in and follow the king of the kingdom. If you're not yet a Christian and you're listening in this morning, one way that you can maybe sense that you're on the verge, <laughs> that, you, that you are close, is if you start to see that what, who Jesus is and what he has to offer is incredible. Too good to be true. That's a a sign that you've started to bury down deep enough to start to see the gold and lean into that because it is true and he's better than you could ever imagine. So that's point number one, a treasure discovered. That's what it's like to find the kingdom. But um, to kind of work with this parable, we're not to just bury and hide the treasure. So Jesus tells another parable to his disciples uh, to explain what they're meant to do once they've found the treasure. And that leads us to point number 2, a treasure displayed. So as we come to a point number 2, we're mainly looking at verses 51 to 52. But in between there's the parable of the net where you have the good fish, those who receive the kingdom and the bad fish, those who don't. Uh, they're separated. Some are sent to life and some are sent to eternal destruction. Um, And sadly, it kind of teaches this broad message like we saw last week that not everyone will follow Jesus and some people will be punished with hell forever because of their disobedience. And so there's a real warning there of not receiving the kingdom with joy. And then we read also in verses 53 to 58 how Jesus is rejected even in his hometown. And Again, it just shows us another picture of how people don't receive the treasure with joy. And so those two kind of sections there are there as warnings to you. If you are listening in to this message of the kingdom and you're like, ah, Jesus, no. Or you're reconsidering whether or not you want to be a Christian anymore, you're going to keep following Jesus. These passages are here as a warning. If the, the glitter of the gold of Jesus Christ doesn't get you, then at least let the warning of dire destruction keep you and drive you away from rejecting him. But for those of us who the gold does glitter uh, and the pearl does shine, what are we meant to do with this treasure? Well, at the end of all these parables, the disciples gather with Jesus. They're sitting around, perhaps eating some fish. And in verse 51 to 52, this is what happens. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked them. And they said to him, yes, which they didn't really understand at all, but as much as they they thought they did. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Let me read that again, because it's a little bit tricky. Therefore. Everyone who has been, everyone, sorry, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure, what is new and what is old. So now Jesus is concluding his entire teaching. He's explained all these parables of the kingdom. He's given private interpretation to the disciples. And then he tells them one last parable. He's telling them that the disciples are now to consider themselves as scribes. That is, men who have been trained with the knowledge of the kingdom of God. They've they've been taught and now their duty is not just to receive it and be like, woohoo, I've got this treasure, I'm in, I'm in the kingdom, The sun I'm going to shine like the sun of righteousness, this is great. But their job is to be like the scribes of Jesus' day and to teach others the truths of the kingdom. And to illustrate this point, he says that these disciples who have been instructed in the kingdom are like the master of a house. That is sort of a rich man who is bringing out of his treasury his most beloved trophies and showing them to his guests, both old and new trophies. Imagine like a wine connoisseur, someone who really loves their wine, they're having a dinner party. And they've got all these bottles of wine light out and they're like, well, there's this vintage and this grape and there's this region and this and this and this. That's what Jesus is saying we are to be like now that we've been trained as scribes of the kingdom. That we're to bring out these treasures, um, but the treasures are the Old Testament and New Testament teachings that point towards Jesus as king. And so he's making this point that you're not to just bury your treasure, you're meant to display it. You're meant to display this treasure to others. This passage reminds me a little bit of the movie, The Castle, the great Australian movie, um, where the, the lead character is real down to earth, Aussie bloke. And whenever he receives something that he really loves, he says, that's going straight to the pool room. And what he means by that is that he's got this room in the house where there's a pool table and all the all the treasures are there and all his most prized possessions. And when he wanted to show off um, what he'd done or, you know, uh, things to his family or friends, uh, he would take them down to the pool room. And that's what Jesus is saying a disciple is meant to be like and the message of the kingdom, you know, is kind of like in the pool room. And then we pull it out and we say, look at this. How amazing is Jesus. Later on, Jesus will make this even more explicit in his great commission when he, he says to the disciples that your job now is to go and make disciples, go and make new scribes of the kingdom. What do you do? Well, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20 of Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So their job is to become scribes, to make new Disciples and to display the treasure by proclaiming the gospel and teaching others everything he has commanded them. And so we now we join in of this lineage. We are charged by Jesus. We have been taught by the disciples who've been taught by the disciples and trace it all back to Matthew 28, where the first disciples taught the first disciples. And now it's our duty, it's our delight to delight in the treasure and then display it. To our friends and to our family. And again, this parable not only informs the content of our teaching, but the method. You see, this parable not only informs the content of our teaching, but the manner of it also. Jesus says that they are to bring out treasures, both new and old. That means teach the Old Testament and the New Testament fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Bring out that treasure. But the manner, the manner or the way we teach this message is displaying treasure. It's not like apologetically or sorrowfully or um, boredly, not that that's an um, adjective, but it, it's not this sense of like, ah uh, if I have to but it's like a master of a house who loves these trophies and is showing off how great the kingdom is. That's the manner of how we teach. The 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 peasant who found the treasure in his field, if he could show it off to people, he wouldn't be like, oh yeah, I just found some stuff in the ground. He'd be like, oh look at my treasure. It'd be like your grandma or your mom when she goes around, she's always got a photo of you and your kids or whatever it is. And whenever she meets people, she wants to show off. Oh, look, look at my kids and these are my grandkids and this is what they're doing. That's what lens be like with the message of the kingdom, like Steve jobs at an Apple product launch. Um, you know, this is the most amazing thing ever, um, for every product, Uh, but we actually have the most amazing thing ever. So putting it all together, The 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 main thing that this whole passage is trying to teach us is that we are um, to delight in the gospel itself. We discover this treasure in Jesus Christ, and it's it's meant to amaze us. It's meant to remind us of how good it is. That's what it's like to become a Christian. But then we are to display that delight by sharing it to others. So the kingdom of heaven is a treasure to delight in and display to others the kingdom of heaven is a treasure to delight in for ourselves and to display to others but i want to spend some time pressing into the reality that for most of us at times or perhaps even now you may not really be seeing the glitter of the gold of the kingdom of heaven The diamonds, um, as it were, may have grown a bit dusty and lost their allure and their luster. And so I want to end with point number three, rediscovering your treasure, rediscovering your treasure. It's so easy to get distracted, to let the treasure gather dust, lose its polish and not feel all that valuable to us anymore to feel like the action is out there, not in the church, not in knowing Jesus, and it can often feel an awful lot like we are missing out, or perhaps that's just how I feel at times. At times in your Christian life, you're likely to feel levels of apathy and lethargy, perhaps even guilt or shame because you don't feel like the rich merchant who's got the pearl or you don't feel like the guy who dug up the treasure. Well, friends, you're not alone in this feeling and nor are you alone in this journey. I certainly go through patches like this. Pastors are not immune from not being dazzled by the gospel. The the Psalms, if you read through the book of Psalms, it teaches that the journey of a saint is often clouded with the darkness of despair and depression. That sin is often more enticing to us than time with the Lord. And God often feels far off and distant. So what do we do? What do we do if the treasure doesn't feel so much like treasure to us right now? Well, we need to do some rediscovering. You need to go down to the pool room, as it were, and revisit the treasure For yourself to pick it up again polish it behold it survey it remind yourself of the treasure that you have so that it will glitter and sparkle once again the way to rekindle joy in your soul friends is not first and foremost by denying yourself treasure and pleasure Okay, The way to rediscover your treasure is not by denying the pursuit of pleasure and treasure. It's actually by seeking true and greater pleasures and treasures. How do we overcome the love of the world that crowds out the love of God? Well, it's not primarily by self-denial, gritting your teeth and choosing Christ and doing good. No. It's by what a Scottish pastor in the 19th century, Thomas Chalmers said, the expulsive power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. Let me illustrate it with something I read from John Piper once. Um, A question was put to him. If you had all the most advanced scientific uh, material available to you, technologies, and they gave you a, a glass beaker and said, remove all the air from this glass beaker how would you do it uh, what would you design to kind of suck all the air out and keep all the air and kind of make this perfect vacuum and you know the question that you're meant to be thinking oh, I don't know how to do it like you know this pump or you know what, what am I meant to do but the answer is simple the easiest way to remove all the air from a glass jar is by filling it with water It displaces all the air and pushes it out. And now it's just filled with water. And so it is with our soul. Our soul is constantly filled with something. Uh, It's a bit of a fallacy to say that people are walking around with empty hearts. No one walks around with an empty heart. We all have our hearts full of something. It just depends on what that something is or who that someone is. And so if you want to reset your joy in God, you want to be like that man. You want to be like the merchant who's found this pearl and is captivated by it. You need the expulsive power of a new affection. You need to displace the joys of this world with greater joys. The word expulsive with a U means to expel. Affection means the desires of your heart. And so you need to dangle before your heart the treasure of Christ and let the spirit within you awaken your desires. It's sort of like once you start grinding coffee, even people that don't like coffee start to smell it and think I want some of that. You need to you need to grind coffee in your soul so to speak and start to smell again the the treasure of the kingdom. Don't think first and foremost To rekindle my joy, I need to give up Netflix and novels and all the things that I love. Think, I need to pursue my greatest joy. I need to be hell, not hell bent, crikey. I need to be heaven bent on seeking treasure. Because what was it that led the man in the field to sell everything he had? It was the indescribable and uncontainable joy of that treasure the joy of that treasure, the beauty of that treasure drove out all of his security and everything else he had, all of his hopes and everything else he had, all of the value of everything else he had was driven out by the beauty of that treasure. And his heart said, this is better than everything else I had. And he sells his house, he sells his land, his animals, any gold, silver, or jewelry, everything to get that treasure. So what do you need to do, friends, to rediscover your treasure? You need to remind yourself that the reason you follow Jesus and you are a child of God is because Jesus is better. Jesus is better than everything else. You need to remind yourself, and I'm just going to go through a list of things to kind of help dangle before you uh, the treasure so you can see it again. I'm going to grind some coffee. Knowing Jesus is better than any earthly comfort. Yes, following Jesus often means depriving ourselves of the comforts of this world. Like Jesus said to the, the Pharisee who wanted to follow him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So it's better. um, Yes, it often means depriving ourselves, but only for a short time, because pleasure immeasurable is awaiting us. Jesus said in Matthew five, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So knowing Jesus is better than any earthly comfort. Knowing Jesus is better than the riches of this world. Yes, following Jesus often means giving away your wealth now. Like Jesus said in Matthew 6:19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, yes, it does mean giving away wealth now and losing out here, but one day Jesus said this will happen. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's a promise, friends. We will be inheritors of the entire world if we make Christ our treasure. Knowing Jesus is even better than our family. Knowing Jesus is better than family. Yes, in this earth following Jesus can mean having to choose Christ and church over your family at times. When he called the first disciples, immediately they left their parents and followed Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 10, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. But in the kingdom, we will get a even better family. Matthew 19, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So Jesus, knowing Jesus is better than earthly comfort, we receive heavenly comfort. Knowing Jesus is better than earthly riches, we receive heavenly riches. Knowing Jesus is better than earthly family, we will receive eternal family. And even, I don't mean to be a bit crass here, but I want to say this, and especially in this time of a pandemic when people are, alone and online often, knowing Jesus is better than sex. Knowing Jesus is better than sexual pleasure and intimacy. Yes, following Jesus can mean missing out on the pleasures of sexual intimacy in order to obey his commands, especially for the brothers and sisters in our church who are single. Um, Knowing Jesus means saying no to those desires right now and missing out. Um, and, and Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter five that anyone who commits adultery in your heart, it's like you've actually done the act of sexual union itself. And that if you do that, that and continually do that and live in a life of that and that dominates you, then you're on the pathway to hell. And so following Jesus means saying no to the, the lust of the heart and the pleasures of the heart. But in the kingdom, friend, let me, let me say this to you. You will have an intimacy that sexual union can never compare to. You will have missed nothing and gained everything. You choose to follow Christ here now and abstain from the pleasures of the flesh. You will experience an intimacy and a pleasure that is incomparable to the intimacies and pleasures of sexual union now. As Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. These are some of the the tensions we live in, the competing pleasures of this world versus the pleasure and treasure of knowing Christ. But when we dig up these treasures, when we, we smell them and look at them, slowly over time, the spirit will say to us, It's no sacrifice to be a Christian because knowing Jesus is better. Yes, there are costs, but there are no ultimate sacrifices. You lose nothing and gain everything. But better than all these things, better than eternal family, eternal wealth, eternal intimacy, eternal pleasure, The greatest treasure of the kingdom is not the gifts of the kingdom, the benefits of the kingdom. It's the king of the kingdom. That is why the man was so happy when he dug up the treasure, while the merchant was so satisfied when he found that pearl, because the treasure and the pearl is Jesus Christ himself. The treasure of the kingdom is knowing God. The greatest thing about being a Christian is knowing God, getting to be known by God, getting to experience God for all eternity. As the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In order that I may gain Christ. Ah, friends, this is the treasure. He is the treasure. Set before your soul, him. And let the spirit awaken these fresh desires to know him and love him and live for him. So what are some tools that will help you to rediscover treasure? Well, I don't mean to be contradictory, but fasting is one tool. Abstaining from the pleasures of this world can help heighten the pleasures of the eternal realm. Uh, And so I put that to you. Committing to a Bible reading plan so that you are constantly digging through the scriptures and finding treasure after treasure after treasure, reminding yourself, dangling before yourself the treasures and going, oh, yeah, how good is this? I'm in Christ and I get this and I get him. Perhaps a time of silence and solitude where you turn everything off, no music, no nothing, and you just talk to God and you listen and you pray and you read. Perhaps um, asking someone to help you to go for a walk and and to discuss what's really going on in your heart, sharing with your group, Um, asking someone to read a book that will stir your soul like Living the Cross-Centered Life by CJ Mahane. Scripture memory is another tool that can help you to rediscover your treasure, to, 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 to commit to learning scriptures that will speak to your soul and remind yourself, oh yes, this is who Christ is and this is what I get. And now, if you're probably feeling a bit cold, um, if you're not actually enjoying the Lord all that much in this present season, you might be thinking, oh, that just sounds a bit too much. Um, I just, I just, I don't think I'm going to do it. Um, Sounds good for the people that are keen, but not for me. Well, friend, if your soul is cold and listless, if your joy is infrequent and weak, let me urge you to treat that with a sense of urgency like you would treat a sickly child, an unresponsive child, if you came across them, pale, cold, and weak, no life, no joy in their eyes. If you saw that child or that baby, you'd be rushing them to hospital. You'd be doing everything you can to revive them, to help them, to to bring them back to life. And so, friend, if, if your soul is cold, treat it with a sense of urgency. Now, you can't fix it in a day, necessarily, You need the Lord to visit upon you, but there should be a sense of like, something's not right here. This ain't treasure to me. Treat it with urgency and ask God to help you delight in the gospel and display it to others. So friends, as we finish this chapter 13 on the parables, Jesus ends by looking at us all and saying that this is what it's like to be in the kingdom. The kingdom is a treasure discovered. Delight and joy in Jesus Christ. Once you do know Jesus Christ, now display it to others and show off how great he is. The way that we teach is marked by delight and joy. And if you are cold and listless, then urgently spend time seeking to rediscover the treasure. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray and ask that you would do a miracle work within us. Would you visit upon us as a church and help us to see and savor your son, Jesus Christ. May the kingdom be like a treasure to us. May you give us the joy to to brag on Jesus, to, to share and display Jesus to our friends, to not be embarrassed, but to be like a guy who's just been given a Ferrari and be like, check this out. Help us to be like that. Lord, I ask that for those who are cold and listless in their soul, Lord, would you quicken them? Would you convict them of their need to pursue you? And Lord, would you give them grace even today? Even now, as we sing, would you re-spark joy? Would you move upon them so that they would again have, have a drop, a taste of joy and get hungry for it? Would you expel affections for this world and replace them with affections for Christ? God, I plead with you. Move amongst us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.